Well, hello, everybody. I want to add my welcome to Janet. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I live in New York. And I'm really excited to be here tonight and super excited that there's so many people who are new to Recovery Jam, whether they're new to recovery or not, um, but they're new to Recovery Jam. And I, you know, um, before I jump into the topic, a practice that I always do that I think is, you know, worthwhile is anytime before I speak, I really, um, I really try to pray and meditate and invite God in so that the words, you know, um, are the words that I believe God would want me to say. And that, um, you know, hopefully less of me and, and, and more of what I believe, you know, God would want to use me for to communicate. So when especially there's like people that are new and, and I heard someone saying like trying to get out of a relapse, I think like what, what, you know, what would my creator, you know, the, the, the provider of my miracle want me to help? What would, what would my, you know, miraculous uh, power want me to share with you? And I think it's hope. I think it, that's my job is to give hope, but not, you know, um, not blank hope, not empty promises, not empty hope, but but actual hope that if you if you suffer from this illness and if you surrender your will, turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him, and if you follow these steps to the very best of your ability, you can indeed join the ranks of those of us who have recovered. And you know, something that I wasn't planning on doing tonight, but whenever there's new people, I know for myself, um, this disease had me, I was over 300 pounds when I was in the depths of my despair. And I know different people experience the disease differently. I had the benefit, really the benefit of wearing it on my body. And I think today it is a benefit because, because I've had a huge physical transformation what that does for me today, why I say it's a benefit, is it gives credibility to what has happened to me. And it's not just gives me credibility, but it gives the power of God credibility. And I think that's, you know, so I say when you've been given a miracle, you're not supposed to hide that you've been given a miracle. So I'm going to really quickly, I wasn't planning on it because I want to get into the topic, but for those of you that are new that have never seen this before, and especially if you're sitting with your camera off, I always like say, please put your camera on if you can, if you're in a place that you can. And I'll just share a few of my photos because for me, I remember those early photos when I first came to Overeaters Anonymous. And when people who looked like they were normal size took out a picture and showed what they once looked like, what that gave me was hope that if it could work for them, that maybe perhaps it could work for me as well. So that's my goal. That's what I, I hope to share with you. And I'm gonna, you know, show it uh, quick. I don't wanna spend too much time, but this was me, you know, in the throes of this addiction, this was me. Um, and, um, you know, it continued. I'm gonna like buzz through them quick, right? Um, it kept getting worse, you know, periods of diets, Periods where I was happy, you know, sunny vacations, the food always owned me. Surrounded by family, food still owned me. You know, I know that there was food in my pockets in that picture. And I know I had to drink a lot because I walked around so resentful. 
And this is a more recent picture, right? That just shows what happens, same people. Um, and uh, this was me when my son was a baby. I could barely put my arms around him. It's just painful and crushing when I see that picture. Um, you know, and these are side-by-side -side photos. And I, I, I think this one really speaks volumes because there I was when he was a baby, you know, and a few years later, this is what God did for me. And this is what God continued to do for me. Um, and so if you feel like you need and want a miracle, um, you too can have a, you know, you too can have a miracle. And then, you know, and when you're gifted this miracle, if through the working of these 12 steps, what happens is God enters your heart and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. And I believe when God enters my heart, the desire to eat got pushed aside. And what took place inside my heart was the strong desire to be useful, to be helpful, to be genuinely a messenger, you know, for what I believe God can happen. And by the way, along the way, made so many incredible friends um, because this is not a program where I dread and feel like drudgery over living this beautiful, rich, recovered life. But I have a fellowship of sisters, of brothers around me who, you know, we delight in that we've been set free and our desire is to help free others. And so in much of our spare time, it is what we do. And it is certainly not a chore. It is really a gift. So I'm gonna stop my share at that point, my pictures, but certainly not my words. And um, so hopefully that gave somebody out there who's thinking I feel hopeless, um, a little hope because you know, those pictures showed a, showed me physically, but I can tell you I was tormented internally. I was always eating more than I set out to eat. And I was always making empty promises that I could not keep. Um, every period where I was able to, with you know, like abstain was always followed by worse relapse, but always followed by worse periods of no control. And um, I don't live that way anymore. You know, I just don't live that way anymore. For me, the food, the problem has been removed. Um, and so what helps with the removal of that problem and keeping it removed is exactly what we're gonna talk about today. It's the topic of sponsorship. And if you're new and you're thinking, okay, that is so far off, it's not, it's really not. It's a lot sooner than you think. So um, I love in, in Dr. Bob's nightmare, first of all, and the, and the thing is I love, this is like one of my versions of the book, but I love the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and it gives me directions for everything, but especially about the topic of sponsorship. Right. So I'm going to be reading a lot of different snippets from it and inserting my own experience, my own set of what I believe we were directed to do. Um, in Dr. Bob's Nightmare, it's on page 181, it explains this. I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learned to others who want and need it badly. And I do it for four reasons. So we're given four reasons why we're going to do this. 
one, sense of duty. Two, it is a pleasure. Three, because in so doing, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. So it is a duty. I do believe that. It is my responsibility. And I would say, you know, how could I live with myself if I didn't help another person save her life? If I knew that I had information about how somebody could save their life, how somebody could allow God to enter their life and help save their life. And I withheld that information. I would not, I, I don't think I could live with myself. I would not be fulfilling my, my duty, my obligation. And I believe that I was, you know, I was pulled back from the gates of death, right? So, and the other thing is it is a pleasure. No joke, it is a pleasure. It, it is my, I feel like it's a true calling, a joy. It's what I was meant to do. Um, nothing gives me greater pleasure, really very little, gives me greater pleasure than, than helping another compulsive overeating. Um, and we repay the person or people who helped us by helping another. And that's true. I've been helped by so many people along the way. They might never know who they are, but so many people offered me help and hope. Um, and so that's the way that we repay them. We don't call them up and pay them anything, but we pass it on. And, you know, and the other one is it keeps me sober, keeps me abstinent keeps me free and recovered. And that's, you know, that's what we're told. It's the only immunity we have to offer. Um, in the doctor's opinion, it says, you know, in XXV that as part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered, right? And so this is how I became and how I remain restored to sanity. And this is how it works for us, you know, right from the start when I'm having, now this is a sponsorship direction, right? So one of the first conversations I would say as a sponsor that you're gonna have with your sponsee or your potential sponsee is they have to agree that if they get well, that they are going to help others. I, it comes right from the very beginning. I tell them right in the beginning and that it's not optional. You know, I impress upon them. That's what it says. Stress this, impress upon them that there's no point in doing this unless we pay this forward, right? And I, I would think like this, you know, why would God bother to free me? I don't believe it's so that I can wear a smaller size pants. I don't think that's, I don't think that's why God got involved in this. I think it was so that other people can be helped too, right? And that's kind of, you know, that that's really directly related to our third step, where we ask God, like, whatever you do to help me get over my difficulties is so that I can use that as a platform to help other people. And it's the same thing with sponsorship. 
you know, again, in the doctor, in the doctor's opinion, which for many of us is one of the first things we look at with a sponsor or a potential sponsor. It says here, so we work on our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane. We favor hospitalization for the alcohol who's very jittery or be bugged. Okay, so this, this is spiritual and altruistic, meaning unselfish, philanthropic, self-sacrifice. That's the work of a sponsor. But, you know, um, and it, you know, it talks about this hospitalization period. And I think that's important as a sponsor because I am not a fan of telling people, um, okay, go get abstinent, go get free of the food and call me when you've got a few days under your belt and then I'll help you. I think if, if we're talking about this hospitalization, when somebody is in the hospital, they're they're given care, they're helped, right? And so, uh, you know, I think about like, for myself, I wasn't put in the hospital when I first came in. Like nobody, you know, I wasn't sent to a treatment facility. Some people are, I was not. Um, but what I was given was a lot of structure and support. And I think it's similar to a hospitalization. Um, you know, that how, and how do we help people? Well, we can help them create their own hospitals in a sense, meaning, you know, and I do think it's part of my work as a sponsor to offer assistance to a fellow who's trying to get clean, to help them out. You know, and here are things that, that I do as a sponsor, here's some things I do. I help them put down on paper clearly what, what, foods they're going to need to abstain from. And that is not because I, I dictate that to them, but I help have honest conversations with them where they should feel free and comfortable expressing to me the foods that they have a problem with. And I don't spend a great deal of time deliberating and negotiating and, and trying to figure it out. And I do encourage them to look at the label of something if they're not sure of it. And say, okay, yeah, go ahead, look at the label. If you're not sure if it has things in it that you shouldn't be eating that you know you have a problem with, don't eat it. And if there's anything that you're not really sure about, again, mm, don't eat it, you know, and um, and that we need a food plan. You know, that um, I know for myself, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm not just a compulsive particular food eater. And I won't know that I'm abstinent unless I have a definition around it. And that requires weighing and measuring and a food plan. And I think that's part of that early hospitalization, helping the person, whether it's with a nutritionist or whether with a prescribed food plan. But, um, you know, and then the other thing that we do is help them determine what things they're going to have to kind of steer clear of. And I would say, you know, in the hospital, in this idea that you're in this hospitalization period, um, you're going to remove all the distractions that might be tempting you temporarily, right? Temporarily. We're not going to lock ourselves up for forever, but there are certain things that we're going to kind of set aside while we're trying to get clean, clear, you know? And so I, you know, don't go on vacation when you're in this hospitalization period. Of course, if you have a planned trip, you know, it's already on the schedule. You've already paid for it. It's your kids that are expecting to go to Disney World. 
No, I wouldn't say we start canceling those things, but be aware. Going to have a lot of tight parameters around going away. I tell people, sponsees, like, you're not going to go to restaurants. Like, we stay out of restaurants. For us, restaurants are like bars to an alcoholic. And nobody would suggest to an alcoholic who's newly getting sober that it would be a great idea to hang out in a bar, right? It's the same thing with restaurants. I tell people, there's just no reason to go there. And if you do have to go there, you might have to bring your own food, you know? Um, you know, I, I've had situations, and I think this is something that a sponsor can do to help someone as well. We're going to the grocery store was really uncomfortable for people who were newly trying to get abstinent. It's a great big, huge, you know, buffet of food all around you. Everything that, you, you know, and that might be too difficult. And in those instances, I would tell a new sponsee, um, you know, you're going to make a list. You can either order your food and have it delivered. Lots of places do that. You can ask someone to go with you. You can have, you can order your food online and pick it up. And if none of those things are, you know, able to be done as a sponsor, I FaceTime people as they do their, their food shopping. And if I can't do that, you can ask another fellow to help you. If that's where you're at, if going to the store is difficult, we ask people to help us. That's okay. A sponsor, I think, is supposed to offer as much assistance in the beginning without doing it entirely for them, right? I'm not going food shopping for you, but I can certainly help you. Um, you know, I had a sponsor in early recovery who actually did make me lunch. I was so like confused about what to do. Um, she made me lunch. She made me meals. I, I would go to her house and, you know, at the time my son was a baby and she would, I needed a little, I needed to move my body a little bit. I was morbidly obese. I had this baby. And sometimes she would say, I'll watch him for you. Why don't you just go take a little walk around the block? And other times she would put him in the stroller and we would come and she would push the stroller for me and we would talk. And those, I think, you know, that's a fellowship, that's support. That's not just, let me get in the book. Let me treat you like, you know, your fuel for the fire that's keeping me abstinent, but you're a human, you're a person. And I'm going to help you like one human to the next. And she showed me compassion. And those are the things I think that, I think that's the spirit of being altruistic. I think that's what it really means in this program. Um, you know, and I think it's, it says here that it's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass it on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. Make it, and this is in this is in um, sorry, this part is in um, working with others. That make it plain he's under no obligation to you. That you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he is not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. 
You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you have helped him. So there's no obligation. Nobody signs up. Um, just because I spend hours with someone in the beginning, if they decide they're not interested or they, you know, are not there, it's okay. They've helped me more than I've helped him. Um, you know, and I let people know that the reason that I do it, right, is yes, because it gives me great joy, but because it's crucial for my own recovery, right? It is necessity for me. In Bill's story, I, I love this. It talks about what a sponsor, what somebody who's coming to help ought to be presenting themselves like. So if you're looking to be a sponsor, you might want to take some of this like as soft direction, right? It talks about Evie here on page nine. It says fresh split skinned and glowing, starry eyed look, but he did no ranting and the result was self-evident. It worked. So if you're carrying the message, you can look like it. Look like you have a message to carry. You know, I don't say like, I always, I put lipstick on before I'm coming to speak. If I'm coming in person and I'm going to be carrying the message, I'm going to be putting myself together. I'm going to try to look pleasant, you know, blow dry my hair, put on a little jewelry. You know, for me, I wear a little makeup, put on something nice to wear. And I was told that, you know, in those old, old AA meetings, those men wore suits for a reason because they wanted to look like they had cleaned up and they were no longer, you know, the bum in the street that they may have been at one time. Now, I don't want to look like someone who's, who's in desperate, dire need and dying of this disease. I want to look like someone who's been given a miracle, right? So my, I believe that I want to show up fresh skinned and glowing, you know? Um, and, uh, if you're carrying the message, you can look like you've got a message to carry. And if you're choosing a sponsor, you might, you want to look for someone who looks like they've been transformed. You can spot it. I can spot it on meetings. When people start getting well, their face changes. Their eyes light up. That's what you want. You want people that are smiling, that are happy in their release, right? That That, you know, and the other thing is, is that, no ranting, right? I don't want someone who's going to yell at me and rant at me and tell me what I must do and I ought to do. And not that, that we don't give clear direction, right? And non-negotiables, but there's a demeanor. There's a way that our message is carried. Um, and that it should be self-evident. What does that mean? It means that my presence says even more than the words that I'm using, the way that I live my life, the way that we relate to one another is truly part of our message. It's part of how we, you know, um, which I think it's one of the reasons why we love like answering questions for people, because I think it's in the answering of questions that people get a sense, you know? And so if you're someone who's looking to be helpful for others, Allow people to ask you those questions because it's in the way that you answer them 
that they'll get a great sense of whether you are someone that has something that you can offer them. Well, you know, all throughout Bill's story, he makes a point of something. He calls Abby, my friend. He says it over and over, my friend, my friend. And I know they were friends, right? But Abby came there on a mission and he was still his friend. You know, on page 12, paragraph two, it says, despite the living example of my friend, and on page 13, paragraph five, it said, my friend promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator. Belief in, <clears throat> belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility were essential requirements. You know, and also... In the chapter, Working with Others, on page 94, it says this. If your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. And then it goes on to say, offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. So... I think we're given real clear directions here. Be friendly. It's okay to be friends, to be friendly. You know, I I don't think that you have to be a, take a position of superiority in order to teach and guide someone. I think true humility is recognizing that you may have something to offer someone, but you're no better. You're no better a human. You know, we're not too good for a sponsee to be friends with them. Um, and I, I actually cringe because I have heard it before, that line where I'm not your friend, I'm your sponsor. And I don't, I think the person um, who's saying that, I think, well, in my humble opinion, I think maybe they don't really understand the definition of a friend. Because a friend does not mean that I have to agree with everything you say. A friend does not mean that I can't be useful and helpful and guide you, but true friends are friends that are honest with each other, that are willing to be helpful, but are on the same plane, that are not superior. And, you know, remember when we're dealing with other compulsive overeaters or alcoholics, if we were, you know, in, in AA, we're talking about sick people, not criminals, not bad people, not people that are beneath us, but people that are sick. And, you know, the only thing that maybe is that I got my medication ahead of them. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just received my treatment a little bit ahead of them. It does not make me superior. Um, you know, and I think, how do we become friends with people? How is it that we, I think in early sponsorship and throughout sponsorship, we talk to them, we get to know them as human beings. You know, when people call me asking if I'm going to be there, could I be their sponsor? They need a sponsor. Can, can you help me? Um, for me, I, I tell people right off the bat, I never say yes and I never say no because you don't really know me yet. And you only know what you think you've heard. And maybe 
you know, and I don't know you yet. And I don't know, one, I don't know if our schedules are going to work. Two, I don't know that we're able to communicate effectively with each other, right? And, and you know, I want to know that there's some, that there's a connection, that there's a way that we can interact and connect with each other. Sometimes I'm going to have to exert my muscle extra hard because I do believe that I'm supposed to open and be as broad and helpful to many types of people, many different people. But I tell people, I'm not going to say yes, and I'm not going to say no or after that. Let's get to know each other a little bit. And we have basic, general, friendly, warm conversations. You know, I give them a Zoom, a Zoom link. They jump on the Zoom link with me because I like talking eye to eye if possible. And we talk. I ask them questions. I mean, it says, it says in working with others, get to know them. I get to know them. I ask the person what they do. Hey, do you work? Do you have any kids? You know, I I get around to asking like, so what what tell me what you're looking for? You know, like what makes you think you're a compulsive overeater? How have you experienced this disease? What does this disease look like for you in your life? I really try to get, and I ask them, I do ask them, do you have a faith? Do you believe, do you believe in God? Do you, you know, do you have a do you have a a um a religious affiliation? Is there something? There's nothing wrong with asking those questions. We want to get a sense of people so that we're best able to help them, right? And then we get around. It really says, and then we get around to talking about our experience with the disease, you know? And so if I'm going to get around to talking about my experience, it means I'm going to be telling you some real self-revealing things about what it was like for me when I was eating compulsively. And what it was like for me when I was muscling my way and trying not to eat compulsively. And those are the ways, you know, that we start making connections. We start seeing if this is going to work. Um, you know, it says here on page 14, paragraph six, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. If an alcoholic found to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. So imperative, meaning it's not optional. And it says through self-sacrifice, not through knowledge. Isn't that interesting? That it's... It's through sacrificing, giving up something of myself, my convenience, my time, you know, something about me, I have to give up. That's what allows me to survive the certain trials. Yes, it's certain and low spots, you know, and it's not just going to be by getting smart. It's not just going to be by reading this book and that's going to make me, you know, information is great, but information does not equal transformation, right? Transformation happens when I take the information and I use it in a way that's self-sacrificing. I use it in a way that benefits other people. Um, you know, I think also there, it tells me that being recovered does not mean that your life is going to be challenge free. 
I am telling you, I have challenges all the time. I had like a weekend of crazy, you know, challenges. And um, the way that we live this life, if we continue to work these steps and live this life, thinking of food did not enter my mind once during these challenging times, not once. Um, page 16, it says this, most of us feel we need look no further for utopia. We have it with us right here and now. Each day, my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in a widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill to men. So my friend's simple talk, which means that when we talk to people, we're friendly, but we speak to them simply, right? And that it's a beautiful widening circle, which I love that. When I think about the widening circle, you know, it's like we sponsor people, they go on and sponsor others, and their sponsees are sponsoring others, and their sponsees, sponsees are sponsoring others too. And that's that widening circle. And that's what gives us utopia. Not perfect lives, not peaceful days, not having no problems. But the thing that really gives us, you know, that feeling of utopia is that that little you know, droplet in the water of our own recovery sends out a ripple, sends out this huge rippling effect. And I would say one of the things that like, just always makes me feel so good when I meet somebody and I find out that, you know, and I'm talking to them and I have no idea. And I'm like, oh, they're like great help or they really sound so wonderful. And I'm hearing great things from them or I, I love what they're they're sharing or their insight. And then I find out that their sponsee is a sponsee sponsee or their had a sponsor that I had. Like there's this like huge connection of people of this like network that's open. It's not like a secret network. Right. And I so for myself I know that different people have an understanding about anonymity. The way that I interpret it is anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. I don't consider my fellowship public media. Now, that does not mean that it's okay for me to betray a confidence in somebody, right? If somebody tells me something in secret, it's not my business to share that with them. But I don't keep a secret. It's, I don't find it necessary. I don't care if, if I'm someone's sponsor, if they tell someone that I'm their sponsor. Or if, you know, that that I know another, another person. Because um, I don't think we're supposed to be anonymous from our anonymous, from our group. You know, especially... Um, what if somebody gets sick, like genuinely sick, right? I don't mean, I mean, not that this isn't genuine sickness, but what if somebody's like in the hospital because they fell and they broke their head and nobody now knows who they are, right? And I can't, I can't say like, you know, I'm how, you know, I haven't, I'm, how is your sponsee doing? I've heard she fell or I can't, like, I don't, I don't think that that's the spirit of this. And you know, you could disagree with me. You have every right to disagree with me, right? 
it's America. <laughs> but that is the way that I interpret it. I think that part of being friends means, you know, and there's some, I think we have to check our motives. Anytime that I mention another person in any way, what what's my motive? What am I doing? Am I doing it to, um, you know, show like I know a lot of people, like a show off? Or is it because I genuinely want to be helpful, that I want to offer friendship and fellowship and help and support. And the other thing I think is that for myself, if there was any set of experiences that I have shared with somebody in this program that was helpful, that, you know, perhaps there was something I shared about a difficulty I had with my boss or a difficulty I had with my mom that has dementia and someone else heard it and they think that might be useful for a sponsee of theirs. And I said it in a public way. I I think that's okay to share that and say, you know what, I heard, I heard Melissa share on a meeting that, that same experience. She might be a good person to call. Or, you know, if I've had conversations with people privately and, and they've heard it, they can always come back and say, you know, I'm working with someone and I think that you have an experience that might benefit them. Are you willing to have me give them your number? And I believe that's part of how that circle widens, that we offer our help and assistance to lots of people. I have yet to have that come back and hurt me. When I have given of myself in that fashion, I've not been, I've not found it um, betrayed or hurt. Unfortunately, and my truth is, is that I, I may have in the past misinterpreted someone else. And for that, I did apologize that when someone shared something, I thought it was going to be helpful to tell another. And I, we do have to be careful about that. We have to make sure that we have people's, you know, um, permission for any time we ever do that of any sort. So I think, you know, as a sponsor, we do need to be careful about that as well. Um, page 18, paragraph four says this, but the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. That the man who's making the approach has had the same difficulty that he obviously knows what he's talking about, that his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect that he is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing whatever except the sincere desire to be helpful, that there are no fees to pay, no axes to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are the conditions we have found most effective. Okay, so that's our set of directions as a sponsor. Because remember, we want to be effective. So when you have these conversations, what are the facts you're really armed with? First of all, facts about yourself. It's great if you know what page things are found on. That's awesome. But knowing what page you can find a certain passage, that might be interesting and and, and it might be helpful, right? Um, and it might help you perfect your knowledge, but we're looking to grow in usefulness and effectiveness. And our demeanor will show that we have the real answer. 
and that we're not pretending to be superior because all we want is to be helpful. And it says here, so do not lecture. So it, I think it's more important that I'm fully armed with facts about myself, about the pain of this disease, about what I did to get well, and not necessarily what page to find different things on in the book. By the way, if you keep working with others, you're gonna learn what page things are on eventually over time. But there's no problem when someone asks me something about that and I say, mm, I don't remember where it is in the book. Like, let's look it up together, right? Let's find that together. Um, so I wanna make sure, because it is a really you know rich topic. Um, I have a lot more to do and we could certainly next week, I continue to work through it. Um, but I do wanna leave us time for questions. So at this point, I will pass.